0: Welcome back, everyone, to the 22nd episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. As always, it was a good Sunday of football, uh, you know, in our games. Our respective teams, uh, you know, weren't weren't doing that well. But other than that, you know, really enjoyed the football. Arjun, how'd you feel about the past week?
1: Yeah, it's, it's weird because the NFL, I feel like it's just in complete shambles We have no elite teams outside of the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Eagles. And we had two XFL quarterbacks be two future Hall of Famers this week, right? And, you know, the one XFL player is coming off a week where they just fired their head coach and everything, right? Like, that team is – the Panthers are terrible, and they still beat the Bucks and Tom Brady. And then Taylor Heineke – For you know, uh, for a second time in his career, outplays a Hall of Fame quarterback in Tom Brady. There's been a or in Aaron Rodgers this week, so it's been a really weird NFL season. We just like it's any given Sunday, like Mm -hmm. even more this year. And you know, I know you know we we kind of are like a betting show a little bit. The Survivor pools have to be absolutely horrendous this year, right? Like the Bucks losing as thirteen and eight point favorites in back to back weeks. Like the Packers, like losing, uh, as like what was like minus five. And we get that as a bet, like it. It's an absolute hellhole this year.
0: Oh, I know. No, it's it's crazy. And yeah, like you know, I was I, was, I put out kind of like a joke today uh, on Twitter, but like also kind of half serious, where there's only three good teams. I I feel confident that they can win, and then two bad teams in Lions and Texans. And other than that, all the other teams in the NFL are kind of the same. Um, and yeah, I just lost my survivor pool. I picked the Patriots last yeah. week, so that was that was my uh my ex. So you know, we'll we'll be going over the the week seven uh, game reviews. Uh, you know, give out our Who Was Him Awards got some really good ones this week and then also have some letdowns to talk about. And then we'll be back on Friday with our preview of week eight. So let's jump into it. Uh, Packers commanders. So, you know, really interesting game, you know, as the Packers continue to go on kind of this losing spree where both their offense and defense is underperforming preseason expectations and so like the this season the packers have ranked dead last in epa per play on late downs like worse than the panthers worse than the texans like all these teams that don't have a back-to-back mvp winner as their quarterback have better you know performance on late downs so on sunday when you look at their late downs they had nine pass plays on third and fourth down, and only two of them gained a first down. And they weren't even two completions. They were two passes that were aided by penalty that got them to the the first down. And so they had, you know, three drops, you know, one by Lazard, uh, one by Aaron Jones, one by Romeo Dobbs. You know, they had some bad uh you know throws by Rogers where you know he he threw a bad throw on a swing pass to Aaron Jones that could have got the first down. And you know, there's also like a pass breakup at the line of scrimmage. And like third and four and less is like should be a run for the Packers. Yeah. Um you know it, it'd be like a, a plus expected value decision. You've you know one of the best running backs right now in Aaron Jones. Um you know who who is uh third and rushing yards over expected and it's it's like really crazy like how like the Commanders know that they're going to pass on every third down and they just got into uh you know two man coverage like you know two safeties man coverage across the board. None of the receivers were able to to beat any of the commanders defenders. And then that led to incomplete passes and, you know, one drop.
1: Yeah. The, the Aaron Rodgers stuff, I think kind of highlights like how he was like really good with Devonte Adams. And like during the time he had Devante and Devante was out, Um, you know, he obviously performed well, but it just seems like this year, like, like we've talked about this so many times, there's just no mid range game. Mm-hmm. And when you're in those third and seven, third and eight situations, like you need to be able to beat man. And I know you kind of, we were talking earlier like how uh washington went into those two-man concepts right and just no one can separate like that's that's the problem and i was looking into this you know before the show so you know at pff we have a new charting system where we look at every player that runs a route and every player in coverage right green bay has the lowest rate of receivers and tight ends being charted as open mm-hmm. on a given play now part of this like i'm using the raw open rates like it i do want to adjust it for like time to throw and like or not time to throw like game situation and stuff because i think that does dictate like whether players open it or not but just like that raw rate is is pretty significant right and that number was way higher with Devontae like they were not dead last Mm -hmm. so i don't think aaron Rodgers is bad per se like i definitely think at this stage in his career you probably want to give him that good old reliable receiver and, like, with Randall Cobb, like, that was, I feel like, his go-to guy, right, before the season. Now, he's out. He's playing with two rookies. Amari Rodgers isn't good. Lazard is more of a two guy, wide receiver two than wide receiver one. And at one point in this game, the target share and the reception share was Lazard five receptions, Aaron Jones eight receptions, and Tunyon one reception. Mm-hmm. And no one else had a catch, yeah. showing there's literally no faith in this Green Bay offense. And they couldn't get the run game going because Washington has a good um, – I believe they couldn't get it going because Washington had a good uh, defensive front. So like, there's a lot of things to worry about with this green Bay offense. And it's like, I think it's something that it's time to like start adjusting our priors going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that the receiver thing is so huge because You know, when you have a top 10 receiver, that means a lot more to an offense than like a top 10 offensive tackle or something, because what a top 10 receiver can do is it can slide everyone down a slot in the receiving rotation. And then when that top 10 receiver leaves, or, you know, in green Bay's case was a top three receiver. When that guy leaves and everyone has to slide up a slot where you have, you know, Lazard as a wide receiver two playing as a wide receiver one, and you have to, you know, use your best rusher in more receiving situations where he lines up in the slot, like Aaron Jones does it becomes your margin for error becomes really thin. And like we see that, right? Like Green Bay is a better team than Washington. You know, that's why they're favored yeah. by five and a half points. And that's why they were up, you know, so big in the first half. But when Amari Amari Rogers muffs the punt and you know puts the Washington in a great situation right there. Like that's that's like what Green Bay can't afford to do this year. So you know it's 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 complete mess right now. Um you know and then like even going to the the defensive side uh like you know, Taylor Heineke is like an okay quarterback. Like he, he thinks he's Patrick Mahomes and he plays like he's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. He doesn't have, you know, the arm talent to do it, but like, sometimes it leads to really good stuff. Like the last drive of the game where, you know, he doesn't give up the ball and makes some crazy passes. And like, you know, he still had like a, only like, even with a 60 yard pick six, negative 1.3 total EPA, you take that away. He has plus eight total EPA, which is a really good game. Yeah. Um, and like the second half he was nails, right? Like touchdown drive to open the half, field goal drive, field goal drive, and then like that that last drive of the game, 10 play drive that takes three minutes off the clock. So Green Bay's defense also underperforming too, but the the, the issues definitely lie with the offense.
1: Yeah, and with like I think the game like we talked, you talked about is it, like was just defined by the late downs. Green Bay 22% success rate on late downs. Commanders were at 47%. They had a negative 0.23 EP per play on third and fourth downs, but they lost uh 9.8 of that or 9.2 of that on the pick six so in in you know reality this is more of like a positive epa offense on late downs the packers defense i feel like just could knock it off the field which is kind of tragic given all the investments they Mm -hmm. made right like and this is my problem with the packers defense is like i don't think they're leaning into the strength of their defense at all like you have eric stokes jair rasul douglas Savage and Amos, you should be playing man across the board. Mm-hmm. Savage or um DeAndre Campbell and uh Quay Walker are both athletic freaks, right? Like they're going to be able to keep up with these running backs and tight ends. And yet, I think the Packers just sit in the soft zone. It's like the Joe Barry thing that he, you know, coming from Brandon Celia Tree, just pl- plays on the entire time. When you have the talent advantage like Green Bay does against a, a Commanders unit that is losing just Jahan Dotson, you should be playing man and saying my guy is better than your guy. But I don't think they do that enough, and I think that they're not maximizing the talent on their roster. And of course, you know, once again, for another year, they're like dead last in rush (laughs) EPL.
0: You know, that's a great point about the, the coverage stuff, because like you see, like, I think like Dan Quinn is like the best defensive coordinator in the NFL right now. And he's completely changed his scheme based on the players that he's had. And it's evolved based on the different guys that the Cowboys keep getting the Packers. haven't done that at all, which is, which is pretty bad, bad look for them. Uh, Going into, to giants, Jaguars, um, I, I wanted to, to read off, you know, what the Giants' win probability was entering the fourth quarter in their last three games against the Packers, Ravens, and, and Jaguars. So against the Packers, it was thirteen uh, percent. Made this, you know, miraculous comeback in London to win that game. Against the Ravens, it was twenty percent. Again, pretty crazy comeback to win that game. And then the Jaguars, they had a thirty percent win probability entering the fourth quarter. So they're literally just this team that, you know, if you enter the fourth quarter with less than five percent win probability, the game's like pretty much over. But when you have you know around a 20% win probability you're going to lose you know the majority of the time but if you hang around long enough and you have you know a, a quarterback that's playing pretty well an offense that can you know churn out time if they end up taking the lead and then a defense that relies on you know a lot of a lot of blitzes and like either you know really good plays or really bad plays like you can come back and win these games and that's what they've done these past 3 weeks
1: yeah the the giants are just finding ways to win while the jaguars find ways to lose <laughs> Um, There's a tweet, I think, by like E. Dilla or something, who's like the Jaguars, like one of their, like these guys who has sources in the building. Oh, they their one score record. They're like 0-5 in 2020, 1-6 in 2021, and they're 0-5 again <laughs> in 2022. So it's like it's not really like a coaching problem because this, this spans across three coaches. I don't know if it's a culture problem. I don't know if it's a Trevor Lawrence problem. But they just like they just keep losing these games. And I feel bad because they they do a lot of things right. Like they go for fourth downs. The play calling might not be right, but like the decision is what we care about. Right. And, you know, they they've invested a lot into their analytics team. And I I just think they haven't gotten a good return on that side of the ball. But I think to your point, like Daniel Jones has been playing well. I I am curious to see what they do after the season, because like he's kind of playing himself into a new contract, but he he's kind of proven he's not the quarterback that you trust in the playoffs that will win you those games like Mahomes can or like Josh Allen can. Right. So like the upside isn't there. But, you know, this game averaged 0.3 EPA per play, one of one of his better performances of the year. And like the Jaguars defense isn't awful. And I think it just goes to show like Brian Dable is really like maximizing literally every ounce of talent he has on that roster, which to be to his credit, isn't a lot
0: yeah no that that's my thing about daniel jones and like that you know that like the decision that they're gonna have to make on giving him an extension or not is he ranks 12th in epa per play on the season and you know since since week uh three he ranks sixth and, yeah. and since week five he only ranks behind patrick mahomes Josh and Derek carr so like he's played really well and gotten better as the season goes on but it's so hard for brian dable and mike kafka Uh, on this offensive coaching staff to churn out these positive Daniel Jones gains. Like, like he is playing pretty well. And like, I'll give him credit for that, but you can tell that they're literally just throwing everything they can at the wall, whether it's six offensive linemen, um, you know, 13 personnel, like very tight formations, sometimes very spread out formations. Other times, like just like anything they can to confuse the defense. And I think, you know, when you see in the same off season that Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan decided that it was too hard to keep playing Madden with uh, Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo, respectively. That's what we're going to see with Brian Dable, whether it's maybe it's not next year, maybe they bring him back next year on a, you know, a two year extension that they can get out of. But eventually he's going to have to realize like, okay, we have this talent on the offense. Like this is, it's really like, I have to be perfect as a play caller and as a, um, and as a offensive game planner, to get him in the right opportunity. And like I I think eventually there'll be a tipping point for that. But I I don't know when that'll happen exactly.
1: Yeah. And I think exactly what you said is highlighted with their early down to late down efficiency, top 10 in early down efficiency, but they fall towards the league average when it comes to their play on third and fourth down. Right. Which is like when Daniel Jones needs to get a bucket, he's a league average mm-hmm. quarterback, right? Because most of the third and fourth downs are are passes. They do have a couple woke third and you know third down runs here and there. But um. Yeah, I think the J- Daniel Jones conversation is interesting. The more interesting conversation, though, is Trevor Lawrence. Um, what do you, what do you think? What do you think of Lawrence right now? So,
0: I'm slowly phasing out my pre-draft priors that were really high on him because of like what I saw in college, uh, of of Trevor Lawrence being an insane processor, very low pressure to sack ratio. You know, arm talent that goes with anyone in the league but he's just too inaccurate right now for me to fully trust him. Yeah. And like, y- you can kind of throw out last year because, you know, worst head coach in NFL history as your, as your coach. And you're, you know, you're, you're playing for the, the Jaguars when nothing was going right there, but uh, in, in, in this game uh, against the Giants, he threw an inaccurate, uncatchable ball, you know, charted by PFF on 36% of his passes, which is second worst in the week behind Mariota. And he's the seventh least accurate quarterback in the league right now, according to my accuracy rate, Over expected, And so, you know, when, when you start to go back and look at, you know, Trevor Lawrence coming out, you know, being called this generational number one overall pick. His EPA per play and completion percentage over expected in college were good, but they weren't you know number one yeah, overall pick yeah. worthy like we've seen these past number one overall picks like a Kyler Murray, a Baker Mayfield, um you know uh you know this year uh, with with the quarterbacks that are coming up to like those those were elite numbers so you know I'm starting to wonder. Maybe you know I, I get like the Clemson offense was was pretty tough to run as a pro style offense, but maybe we were a little too high on him coming out of college, and maybe like these draft priors need to be weighted down a little bit, um, because like his his performance hasn't
1: been uh like as great as I thought he'd be right now. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I think it's we're not there where we should fully give up on mm-hmm. our priors. It's only like I think it's after the second year is over, but. I do think there is like some signal and like the Jaguars just can't finish these games. And like, there are a couple of games where like he makes a boneheaded play and that kind of loses them the game. Um, the, the Texans game, he had a pretty bad pick in the end zone, right? The for week one against the commanders, you had a really bad pick mm-hmm. in the end zone. I think he plays well in stretches and I, th- I don't know if we should like be giving him a, a mulligan for like not having a good team. Like Christian Kirk is, is good. Yeah. And they did spend a significant amount of money on the offensive line, re-signing Cam Robinson and, Sh- and Brandon Sheriff, and then go out and getting Zay Jones, right? Like, in this Doug Peterson offense is, like, it's fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think – I don't think we can put him top 10 anymore. He hasn't really shown that he's consistent enough or, like, he's able to play at that level yet. I'm not, like, too worried about him. He does seem like he he could turn it around, but – I think like the film analysts have kind of propped him up for so long and they spent a lot of the off season saying he's good and he's good, which he probably is, but we just need to see a little bit more. I think at this point.
0: Yeah. And he, I mean, yeah, he could very well be like a good quarterback, Um, but that the, the elite like quarterback level that like, I think a lot of us thought that he would get to, especially like the film people, like you mentioned, it it doesn't seem like he's going to reach that this year. And, you know, like what we know about, you know, quarterbacks who, Uh, after their second year, like we basically know like what they're going to be like, the only really miss has been Carson Wentz, uh, you know, who, who we thought after a second year was actually going to be good and then ended up, you know, falling off a cliff. But every other quarterback that's been good through two years, their first two years in the NFL has, um, you know, has ended up becoming like a top 10 quarterback. And so that's, that's, what's worrisome about Trevor Lawrence, but you know, the the production is still there. Like he still ranks 11th in EPA per play on the season. And it's just like I think these like past two, three weeks are leaving a bad, bad taste in our mouth. But I, I would like to see, you know, some some better better play here. Uh, you know, as we go forward. And yeah, especially since the sporting cast is better than uh la- what he had last year.
1: Yeah. Last thing on this, Giants are five and one, three point dogs on the road to <laughs> Seattle. And one of one of our friends, Robbie Greer, at like Rob Robbie GR on Twitter or something, he had a really cool graph where it's like, he kind of like regressed like PFF team grades on wins and found that most teams have like an overall team grade of like 70 and above the giants have had zero games where like they've like won the like quote unquote won the game by like PFF grades, which is like absolutely absurd. I think it goes to show like, you know, a big part of um this team has been coaching and like just finding ways to win. Like it's just like a hashtag just win mentality. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this is a good segue into our next game, uh, Seahawks-Chargers, when we're talking about coaching. Not in a bad way, in a good way, because I think Pete Carroll has really out outdid himself. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but it's time for my weekly Chargers rant. The Chargers offense is broken. It's fundamentally broken. It's not because of injuries. It's not because of Justin Herbert being injured. It's because there just is no identity with this offense. They can't run the ball, even though they've invested two first round picks in the past two years and uh, invested into their left guard and center. They can't throw the ball because Keenan Allen is hurt, because Mike Williams is hurt. And by the end of the game, for our listeners, the three receivers that the Chargers were trotting out with Justin Herbert were DeAndre Carter, Michael Bandy, and Jason Moore. Those are two practice squad players and one player that has been a journeyman special teamer on every team he's played for. Like... And it just seems like no one is ever open for this Chargers offense. And I, I just, like, I can't tell you why. And you're, you're a Lions fan. You've seen Joe Lombardi for more years than I have. And you would kind of, you know, warn me about this kind of offense. Like I was like, okay, he had time to change. Maybe he will change. I stayed optimistic. But it's, it's to a point where I just, like, I don't know what's wrong with this offense. I don't think it's Herbert because he ranks second in – he has the second best, like, turnover-worthy play rate. He has the best pressure to sack ratio despite playing behind like a not that great offensive line. So I don't think it's a him. I don't think it's a Herbert problem. It's just like there's just so many broken pieces and it just seems like nothing is working. He hasn't thrown. I feel like he hasn't thrown a deep ball that's worked in like in weeks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Herbert's not playing like his 2021 self. There isn't a ton to take away. A negative 0.14 EPA per play is just, you can't have that type of game against the Seahawks defense. And they can't run the ball as well. Like a negative 0.64 EPA per rush is awful. So again, there's a lot of bad things about this Chargers offense, not to mention that Herbert is throwing to NPCs by the end of the game. (laughs) But but yeah, I'm curious to hear if you had any takeaways from this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'm pretty disappointed in Joe Lombardi as a play caller. Um, I think when you design the entire house out of passes to Austin Eckler, yeah. like as as elusive as Austin Eckler isn't as good of a pass catcher as he is catching, you know, tw- all 12 of his targets on Sunday, he, you can't build an offense out of that. You can't have this quarterback who is a top three arm in the league, but still somehow, you know, has a very low turnover worthy play rate every single year uh, like have this, this type of thing where you're just throwing check down after check down over and over But, you know, when it's not like an innovative offense um, at all. And like when we were just talking about the Giants, literally everything they do is to help Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley succeed. Everything that Joe Lombardi has done is to not help, you know, Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler succeed. And like, I know like, you know, he's he's put in an effort towards it. Like these coaches don't just like roll over like this. But it's just just been super crazy to see, you know, a, a team that, was a lot of people were so excited about this year. You know, have these these types of performances. Like they're still four and three. Like yeah. they're still there's still like you know a, a a decent chance to make the playoffs. Like they have a, you know over fifty percent chance to make the playoffs. But it's not going to be the year that they you know take down the Chiefs or knock on the AFC Championship game for the Super Bowl. Just because the play calling is holding them so much back on offense.
1: Yeah, and I think like the the Eckler checked on stuff. I think part of that, part of that blame is Herbert. Like, I don't think it's all Lombardi because like at the end of the day, Herbert is throwing to Eckler and it's like, but I think like Herbert's been a little conservative. That's why his turnover worthy play rate is, is pretty low. But like, I don't think he's like, he's really like forcing anything, which is fine. But I also think like if, if, you're blaming Herbert for the checkdowns, which he does deserve a little bit of it. You also have to realize like he's a pretty smart quarterback. Like he, like we talked, we've talked about in like Steven Ruiz, Nate Tice, Robert Mays, they've all talked about how it's not Herbert's arm strength that they think is his number one mm-hmm. quality. It's just, it's his processing speed. Yeah. He can, and we've watched him do this, like you and me together live. He'll go from read one to read two, to read three, all the way back to read yeah. one. So it's not that his processing is bad. It's, I think he's processing everything and just no one is open. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've run my on the raw open rate stuff like the Chargers show up nearly average. But again, I think part of that is because Herbert, a lot of the time it's releasing the ball really quick. And again, with Herbert, he should have a larger margin for error than most quarterbacks. But because everything on this offense is designed around being precise and timing, it's just it's such a tough offense for him. And like it's not a top offense for him to execute but it's it's a you can't execute it without you know your good players and I think mm-hmm. the, the Chargers are seeing kind of like the negative returns of not having Keenan Allen who's pretty much this off this like the routes are designed around and now you don't have Mike Williams for the rest of the week, rest of the month two months I think we're going to see some real problems occur on this Chargers offense Um, so I think going forward you know I, we need to see how the Chargers' offense performs, but let's let's talk about the Seahawks a little bit. I think we deserve to give Geno some praise. Zero point two eight EPA per dropback. Mm-hmm. The Chargers' offense, our defense isn't great, but he's he was still shredding them without DK Metcalf. Marquise Goodwin looked like a a pretty good player. Like he was turning back the clock. Um, and on late downs, he averaged zero point eight nine EPA per play. And like I think like people will like hate on quarterbacks for, for being really good on third down. I actually think being good on third and fourth down is like a positive thing. It shows like you can go get a bucket, right? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of positives to take away from the Seahawks offense. I'm curious to see how Gino does without DK Metcalf, but I think the early returns have been really, really good.
0: Yeah, and nothing's been fluky about Geno Smith's play. Like when you have these quarterbacks like a baker mayfield 2020 season where they haven't been playing well or they haven't been you know given opportunity in Gino's case and they kind of just pop up out of nowhere rank really highly in all the efficiency metrics you can start to look at all right where they heavily play action induced yeah. where they're using a lot of rpos a lot of screens maybe and like Gino, even when you remove all of that stuff and just look at his peer epa per dropback, he ranks fifth in the nfl yeah. right now so you know just just behind patrick mahomes so like, that's, that's like a really good sign, I think, for the Seahawks. And we talked about Daniel Jones going on to next year, Gino is a for sure, Uh, you know, you take him into next year as yeah. your quarterback, one, because you're not going to have, you know, a top pick now that you're leading the <laughs> NFC West, which, <laughs> which is crazy. But the other is like, you know, you you have to roll with him for one more year, because like, he, he's just amazing. Like, like, what he's been doing this year has just been amazing. And like, the big one of the biggest mysteries we need to find out is what exactly he did this offseason. Oh yeah. Because he didn't look that good last year. And like the, the situation was was pretty good there in, in Seattle. And this season he's just balled out, you yeah. know, at, at basically every single
1: game since uh he's played the Lions. Yeah, totally agree. Last thing about this game, I think like we kind of maybe underrated Pete Carroll and maybe Russell Wilson was this cause of mm-hmm. the Seahawks demise in the last couple of years. We we just really don't know what happened in Seattle then. But Pete Carroll taking this. A Seahawks team to a four, four and three after pretty much selling Russell Wilson, uh, cutting Bobby Wagner. Like you gave up two foundational pieces and are still over 500 by pretty much midseason is is really impressive. But move on to kind of a game of the last week and you know our final game that we'll talk about Chiefs Niners. Um I think I was focused more on like Charger Seahawks during the slate. I did get to watch rewatch it, but what did you kind of take away from this game?
0: Yeah, I thought it was just a classic Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid game. And, you know, like coming into this game, 49ers were allowing a negative 0.19 EPA per drop back, ranking second in the entire NFL. Patrick Mahomes had a plus 7.9 EPA per drop back. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Timo Riske put out that it was the best performance against a team that came in as the number one overall defense in over a decade. And Mahomes was so good in this game that he took the number one ranked uh, 49ers defense and dropped them all the way to eighth in defensive EPA reply. And this is with six weeks of, of data to yeah. go for them. It's not like it's like, you know, super early in the season still, but it was also, you know, an Andy Reid game. And, you know, Andy Reid, they, the Chiefs have the second best red zone offense in the NFL right now. And like, you can see Andy Reid just is putting everything he has into, you know, what what these red zone packages to make sure that the Chiefs aren't walking out with field goals because they don't have that margin of error this yeah, year yeah. where they can go 60 yard deep bomb to Tyreek Hill if they need that to happen. So they need to convert these to touchdowns. You know, using McCall Hardman on the two sweeps for the touchdowns, uh, you know, was was super impressive. And like Mahomes just completely just shredded everything that the um the, the 49ers put out there and use like all his receivers. Like this is why you moneyball the Tyree kill trade yeah. and you try to, you know, make it back in the aggregate and you get, you go and you get a juju and you get an MVS and you get a sky more and you build all of that up. You're never going to replace Tyree kill, but you can get close to it with an ensemble of players. And that's exactly what the chiefs did. And we saw it in this game.
1: Yeah. The, the Niners being banged up, I think contributed to this a little bit. Traveris Ward got hurt during the game, but yeah, it just, it seemed like the Chiefs just kind of took over this game after the first quarter, after the scripted plays mm-hmm. <laughs> and after Sky Moore kind of you know fumbled that punt inside the five. They they just seem to be doing everything right on offense and like it's it just seems like they're gonna be unstoppable again, which which kind of sucks. The Niners played zone about 60% of the time, which you know, we if you've listened to this podcast for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of talked about how, or at least I've kind of talked about I think you kind of resonated like the way to beat the Chiefs is play man. Um, only if you really have a good secondary to do it, because obviously, like Mahomes will beat bad corners. But with Tarverius Ward, I think the Niners could have been able to play man at a little bit of a higher clip. But again, with zone, like Mahomes is a smart enough quarterback now. His processing speed, his ability to read defenses pre snap is all you know way higher than when when it was when he was on a rookie deal. So I don't think you can play zone. Niners did kind of suffer the consequences and. You know the, the Chiefs had an all-around good performance, they even had a positive EPA per rush. Uh, then it feels like for the first time all season, um, outside of you know, they've I th- I'm pretty sure they've had a couple of games where they've had a positive, but uh buoyed by big plays. The the flip side, the Niners offense, like with Christian McCaffrey, wasn't that good. I know you have a fun stat you wanted to share <laughs> as it relates to this.
0: Yeah, so so Jeff Wilson had uh 25.5 rushing yards over expected in this game pretty good week from him. Christian McCaffrey at negative 6.6 same amount of carries. Um I I still think Jeff Wilson is as good of a rusher as Christian McCaffrey. He showed that in this game, he showed that all season. You know, I think Christian McCaffrey will be worked in more in the receiving game, but like th- like Jimmy G showed in this game why he's not worth going all in yeah. for like it's just not going to happen this year with him and like what i think jimmy grapple is like watching him is he's like an overtrained artificial intelligence that is playing quarterback like he does really well on the training data like stuff he's seen before mm-hmm. uh, stuff that kyle shanahan tells him he's going to see you know he was eating that up in the first half the second you throw him something that he hasn't seen like the um kind of like the simulated pressure they ran that led to the, the safety. Like he was just completely thrown off by that. And like that, that's, that's what, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is right now. i like, that's why I don't, I don't think you should have made the the trade for Christian McCaffrey. And you, you watch James Robinson, who's also a good rusher and can do some work in the receiving game, get traded for just a six round pick. And you wonder like if the 49ers could have made that package and if that would have been worth it for them instead of this trade. Like, I, I think McCaffrey will help them this year in the receiving game, but like, I don't think you're winning a Super Bowl with this roster in its current state anyways, with or without him.
1: That's a, that's a big take. That they're not going to win with that with Jimmy, um, or you'd say with Jimmy or with McCaffrey.
0: With like even with McCaffrey, I still don't think that they're they have like a, you know above ten percent chance of winning the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I I think the Super Bowl odds probably reflect that as well. To your point, like I think the the idea like Jimmy doesn't like the he doesn't play well against stuff he hasn't seen. Like I think that holds true. Like outside of the scripted plays, Niners I think scored thirteen points at, after the first quarter, um you know, they, yeah, thir- 13 after the first quarter. Um, he also struggled versus the Broncos, which, you know, they play a lot of too high. So like it's stuff that, and Everett is a new defensive coordinator. So he hasn't really seen a lot of Broncos tape. So I think we do want to fade the Niners, I think in spots where number one, he'll go up not against a great defense, but a defense that likes to mix up its its looks free mm-hmm. and post snap. Like the the Spag- Spagnuolo likes to put a lot of people on the line and drop a lot of people and send a lot of people those simulated pressures you were talking about. Jimmy, if you've watched Jimmy DeGroff, well, you've seen he, he gets happy feet when under pressure. That's that's a kind of a sign of a bad quarterback, I would think. Um, so you know when he's faced with those type of situations, I think we need to start fading him a little bit. But yeah, but yeah, that was a that was a really good game. I was really happy to, or not really happy. I was pretty interested to see how the the Chiefs would kind of respond to that, and they they did pretty well. But um, yeah, so we'll move into our who was him segment. You are not him. You are not him. Told a bitch,
0: I'm him Quit playing. I'm to ride with a boss what bitch get in. All right, we're here for our Who Was Him segment. Got some really, really good ones to talk about. And I have to start with Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about him on the show yet, but he's been having a really good season. Came into, you know, this week. Uh, leading all running backs with 115 total rushing yards over-expected, uh, you know, the, the best in the best in the league when you combine volume and efficiency and, and the stat like that. And like, it's tough because rushing yards over-expected goes down with volume and he's the pure, you know, three down back for the Raiders right now. So like, we've seen, you know, players have like Travis Etienne is having right now where he's splitting carries, uh, and like having really good efficiency, uh, with rushing as over expected, but Jacobs is doing all on his own in this game, specifically against the Texans. He ran for 7.2 yards per carry on three touchdowns. And that's without a fluky breakaway run since mm-hmm. his longest run was only 15 yards. It had a, you know, plus seven total EPA and a 65% success rate. And it's really cool to see the Raiders run, you know, with all the outside zone that's happening in the NFL. They run a traditional I formation gap scheme that is, you know, cool, cool, like, thing and like he runs really well and you know it's contract year for Josh Jacobs yeah. got to show out get the
1: bag and he's doing exactly that definitely playing himself into a new contract don't know if it's by the Raiders or some other team that's gonna um that's gonna like trick themselves into into giving him a big deal. That definitely love that award. I'm gonna give one to Steve Wilkes. So good it's coaches and players. The the Bucks offense like it isn't great but like it isn't three points bad. Right. And I think the the Panthers had a, had a pretty good game plan going in um I think the most impressive thing about Steve Wilkes you know he isn't technically that he wasn't the defensive coordinator under Matt rule but he was part of the defensive coaching staff the Panthers have like have spent their the cumulative cap hits for their defense amounts to just under 70 million dollars yet they still have an above average defense which is which is pretty good like there's only um there's only three other teams that have a below average uh Cap hit spent on defense and above average defense, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, Tom Brady negative zero point zero seven EPA per play, despite having Mike Evans, Godwin, Russell Gage, and well, I don't know if I want to say Leonard Leonard Fournette at this point, (laughs) but. He he'd had his full bevy of uh, weapons at his disposal, still had a negative 0.07 EPR per play. And again, you know, shutting out the, or not pretty much shutting out the Buccaneers is a pretty impressive feat.
0: Yeah, love that one because we're going to get to Tom Brady and the letdowns. <laughs> so, but staying on the the Who Is Him Awards, uh, Zach Taylor you know, I think deserves some credit. He gets a lot of hate. You know, some some deserved, some not deserved. But he has been on fire these yeah. past couple of weeks for the Bengals, completely turning around their season. They are third in passing rate, over expected right now, behind the Bills and the Chiefs. So he's showing like, all right, we just straight up can't run the ball. Let's just go into um, shotgun and and start using you know these all all world receivers we have and the one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. And like they were, you know, a strictly under center team. The tell, you know, was when they're under center, they run 80% of the time, yeah. uh, you know, kind of, you know, end of last year, beginning of this year, 95% out of shotgun these past couple of weeks, um, just straight up, you know, could have put up like 80 points on the, on the Falcons if they wanted to, Uh, but they let their foot off the gas. So, you know, crazy performance Um, from everyone on the Bengals offense, but Zach Taylor, I think has been like the, the leading charge of that so far. And he, he deserves a lot of credit for how they've turned around their, their offense this season and, you know, put themselves in a really good position to, you know, be either one of the best teams in the NFL or even win the AFC North.
1: Yeah. I think my, you know, I I don't want to overreact to the Bengals too much Mm -hmm. um, because like, you know, they, they've kind of played two subpar defenses back to back, but my biggest question about this Bengals offense going into the year and why like, I wasn't as high on them as others was like, I don't know if these three offensive linemen signings are going to encourage Zach Taylor to run the ball more or pass the ball more. Early in the season, we saw them run the ball more and it didn't work. And OK, will he adjust? And he did. Like, that's a that's a very, very positive thing that he adjusted. I think that is good for the Bengals futures going forward. Like, I, I definitely feel more confident about them than I did before obviously I'm not going to overreact because you know playing the Falcons without their top three corners dropping a 30 burger on them is you know it's it's impressive but it's like you know you got let's keep things in check right but yeah definitely very impressive for Zach Taylor um I'm gonna go with sauce Gardner definitely like one of my favorite players in the league so far um Gardner he had he was targeted 10 times he only had four receptions allowed for 16 yards so we're talking about a 1.6 yards per target, which is, you know, absolutely insane. And he had like four targets where Cortland Sutton was the main receiver, zero receptions, which again, very, very impressive from, from him. Um, I think it just goes to show like taking a cornerback in the top is is so tough because like if they don't pan out, like it, it's really bad because like they're, they're going to be, it's not that they're going to be not going to be a positive. They're going to be such a negative from defensive defenses or offenses, like and good quarterbacks relentlessly targeting them. But when you hit on them, it's such a big hit. And I think he's, it's still early, but he's still proving to be a big hit. Um, He, he has an EPA per target of negative 0.184, which is really, really good. In our successful coverage over expected metric um, in 2022, he ranks 31st, but he has a 0. 0.033, which is, you know, really good. Anything above zero is very well, or is very good. So definitely think he had a really good game against the Broncos offense and a game where the Jets kind of needed their defense to shut the Broncos offense down. And I think he definitely played a big part in that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great one. And yeah, I know he's one of those guys already that you can kind of pencil in as a top 10 corner, like we were able to do with Patrick Sertan, his rookie year. And it's, it's cool to see, you know, like the, the corner has a pretty tough learning curve, you know, typically, but like they, these guys have walked right in and, and been pretty fine. And then when I do my last two was him here with uh, Jeff Acuda. On the Lions, like he he's one of those guys that had this long learning curve. It's year three for him. And it seems like everything's finally, you know, starting to click. Right. So the Lions came out of the bye week. And they came up, they they had this really interesting strategy, uh, which worked for the majority of the game against Dallas, where when Dallas went into 21 personnel or had an extra offense lineman on the field, the Lions played a five-three front with, with five defense linemen, three linebackers, but the Lions don't have three linebackers mm-hmm. that are NFL ready to start. <laughs> so they took Jeff Okuda and made them the third linebacker. He played 18 snaps in the box, and he was amazing at it. Fifteen tackles, twelve solo tackles, ninety point one PFF run defense grade, and on the coverage side, he had four targets, uh, only you know allowed only three catches, and uh you know twenty two yards, like not not much at all. And uh, Al Karsten, uh you know guy guy on Twitter, uh who, who does a lot of cool stats, he put out that uh you know Detroit Lions cornerback Jeff Okuda became the first cornerback since nineteen ninety four when the NFL started recording tackles for loss to record fifteen tackles. Or twelve solo tackles and at least one tackle for loss in a game. So like for a corner to be as good of a run defender as yeah. he was in this game and to have that good of a pursuit was super impressive. And like Lions defense, you know, played well because of him in this game, uh, but but weren't able to win because of you know offense and, and some weird <laughs> ref calls. But it it was it was cool to see Akuda play so well.
1: Yeah, definitely happy for him. We've been on the Akuda train since week one, pretty much. Definitely happy to see him perform. Um, my last guy, Kenneth Walker, who I think had as good or potentially even better day than Josh Jacobs. Um, I think he's been a really good rookie running back. Like, I think that him versus Brees Hall versus Damian Pierce, like, it, it's a tough one, but I think Walker has to be given the edge. Like, he shows up really highly in next-gen stats, rushing yards to Rick Spettrick. He doesn't show up as well in yours, but I think that there's just some underlying differences. 125 yards after contact of his 168 rushing yards in total. Like, that is that is absurd that is very good like a large part of that came on the like 70 yard or 60 yard run that he had against the Chargers but it's still like he had five rushes of, of 10 or more yards um and i i think in general like he's shown that like the Seahawks probably shouldn't have have traded up for him i, I think they traded up for him or something like yeah. that but um. In general, like I th- I thought he had a really good day, and it like I thought in general, like there weren't like a ton of like really really good performances this week. Uh, a pretty down week I would say for NFL offenses outside of the Chiefs and and stuff. And I didn't want to give it to to Mahomes, so <laughs> um, Kenneth Walker is my last guy.
0: Yeah, and like that's the thing is like it's not that like running backs don't matter or anything like that. It's like when you have a running back that is, is young, you can get a ton of production out of them. It's just when you give that second contract to a running yeah. back is like what we really want against. If you want to draft a running back in the you know second, third round, because you feel pretty confident about him, like that's that's okay. And that's not something as egregious as paying a running back, yeah. you know, 14, $15 million uh, as they go into their second contract. So that's that's kind of been, you know, the, the I think the thing that's gotten lost in translation. Um, but as we go into the letdowns, you know, you mentioned what Steve Wilkes did to Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady was a letdown this, this week, um, you know, on late down passes, Brady only turned three of 14 attempts into first downs was the worst late down offense in the entire NFL, you know, had a negative 3.7 total EPA, which was 27th percentile against the Panthers who have, you know, an okay defense, not, not like a top 10 defense in the NFL or anything. And like, I think we need to start to have, you know, when I put this out, uh, at the end of last year, Uh, A bunch of Patriots fans who, you know, were still really enamored with Tom Brady, even though they have the next Tom Brady and Bailey Zappi (laughs) right now, (laughs) Um, came after me for this. Brady has been really, really good in Tampa when Antonio Brown has been a part of the team and only an average quarterback when he's been when Antonio Brown hasn't been a part of the team. And we're seeing that again this year. And you can go all the way back to his first season in 2020 when Brady started out slow. Uh, ranked you know 14th in EPA per play, and Tony joins the team and he ranks third in EPA per play yeah. the rest of the season. And then last season, you know, Brady came out, was playing like an MVP candidate the first 12, 13 weeks of the season, and Tony leads the team and the offense sputters down the yeah. stretch. And then this season again, like, like Brady's Brady's ranked ninth in EPA per play, which is like pretty good, but it's not the elite level production we're used to. I mean, you, you know, you still have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, but when Brady is supposed to be in control of the offense, because, you know, everyone always wants to give him credit when something really good happens with him around because (laughs) of his his culture or his leadership or stuff. (laughs) It it needs to go the opposite way here when, you know, we have to assume without Bruce Arians that he's in control of the offense. Everyone's putting the blame on, uh, you know, Byron Lefwich. And so, like, I think Brady deserves a lot of blame for what this Buccaneers offense looks like, Uh, you know, both rushing and passing because it's been pretty ugly this entire season.
1: I agree and I think people will be like oh but Brady also lost Ryan Jensen like he lost both his guards and they got Shaq Mason but like the offensive line went through some of people outside of Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes like there probably isn't a quarterback you'd feel confident in like mitigating pressure Mm -hmm. than Tom Brady right so like obviously you you want to have like if you're a gm or your fan like you want your quarterback to have a good offensive line but like with brady you want him to have good weapons because regardless of his offensive line like he's always going to have a quick trigger he's always going to have a low time to throw like he'll he'll know where to throw the ball before this ball is snapped and like yeah there really isn't that much of a excuse. like godwin and evans are still probably one of the best wide receiver duos in the nfl um i'm gonna you know we're returning back the clock to the 2016 super bowl uh my (laughs) letdown is matt ryan it's just like Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, like every year they seem to pick a quarterback and it just doesn't work out after Andrew Luck. Bill of Rivers was the one exception, but they didn't trade draft capital for him, right? And like, it just seems like they were sold a bill of goods. I think I was sold a bill of goods because I thought like after last year, Matt Ryan was cooked. Like, I know he didn't have any weapons, but like he didn't show up well at all in many like efficiency-based metrics and, and PFF grade. I, he might have shown up a little bit well better in PFF grade, but like. I had like all the film film analysts on Twitter, but like, Oh, he's not cooked. Like he's going to have a good year. Like uh, Frank Greg, he's going to unlock that, that old 2020, 2019 self out of him. And it just looks like he's cooked. Like his, his balls have no velocity on them. It's tough for him to even throw an out route, a deep ball. And I mean, he's getting like worked by this Tennessee defense, which, you know, doesn't have many edge rushers outside of Bud Dupree and Denico Autry. Like, I think there is legitimate concerns. And now, He's benched for Sam Ellinger, which is like one of the one of the biggest roasts I think you can have if you're a quarterback. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty disappointed in Matt Ryan. I you know, we we gave out Colts uh to win the AFC South as our first official bet. Cause we we were told that by by the film analysts and even the some of the analytics people that Matt Ryan was still a good quarterback and he just he hasn't really been that guy.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the the film people were really high on him, even though, you know, he he hadn't shown up well in like any efficiency stats. You know, he showed up 26 in e per play from 2020 through 2021, uh, you know, among the, the main starting quarterbacks. So like the efficiency wasn't there for him. But yeah, like a lot of the film people mentioned that. And I at least thought he was going to be an upgrade over Carson Wentz. But at least Carson Wentz was, you know, at, at, at times he was bad, but he was he was never this bad. And Matt Ryan, you know, leads the league. In sacks taken, um you know, has has thrown the you know turned the ball over nine times this year. You know, fumbled you know at the highest so rate times. in the league. Yeah, so um, or sorry, thrown an interception nine times and fumbled you know like more than ten times on top of that. And so yeah, when you get benched like this for you know a quarterback that people weren't even high on, you know, college to pro projection wise. Uh, that's, that's gotta be feel pretty bad. And like, I like his, his arm is, is straight up cooked and it's kind of like a representation of what, what is happening in the league right now. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers has become cooked. Russell Wilson has become cooked. Matt Ryan has become cooked. Uh, and then Tom Brady is looking like he's, he's getting there. And it's like all of these guys in the same exact season have the, their, where their, their arm, their arm talent and decision-making just isn't there. And it's, it's, it's just pretty crazy to, to see it play out
1: yeah totally agree totally agree so that's gonna wrap it up for this episode um hope everyone enjoyed we'll be back friday morning slash afternoon with our uh with our week eight preview give out some of our bets we unfortunately back to our losing ways <laughs> 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 but of the week losing but you know we're, we're gonna ride the ship at some point um but yeah that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for us and until